0: Psalm 53 lends itself very well to us, since our brother Paul will quote its first three verses in verses 10-12 through of that third chapter of Romans. I want you to know, if you do not already, that Psalm 53 has a fraternal twin in Psalm 14. The two Psalms say the same thing with a few minor alterations in the wording. Let's all stand together. And read Psalm 53 in unison in our worship of God this day and the preparation of our hearts for our subject in Romans 3. Together? The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Corrupt are they and have done abominable iniquity. There is none that doeth good. God looked down from heaven "...upon the children of men, to see if there were any that did understand, that did seek God. Every one of them is gone back. They are all become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Have the workers of iniquity no knowledge, who eat up My people as they eat bread?" They have not called upon God. There were they in great fear, where no fear was. For God hath scattered the bones of Him that encampeth against thee. Thou hast put them to shame, because God hath despised them. Oh, that the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion! when God bringeth back the captivity of His people, Jacob shall rejoice, and Israel shall be glad. Amen. And Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Lord God in heaven, for Psalms 14 and 53 and what they declare to us in a few short verses. The fool has said in his heart. He may not mouth the words in public because it would not find much favor or reception by other men. But he says it in his heart. He may actually believe to some degree that there is a God. But in his heart, he says that there is no God that has any control or dominion over me. So that, as Titus 1.16 would tell us, in works... They deny Him. As Psalm 36 and verse 1 would tell us, When I saw the iniquity of the foolish, I knew that there was no fear of God before their eyes. It is having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, as we read about in Second Timothy chapter 3. This fool is not an exceptional character. This fool is a common description of all men, And we know that because of the way Paul is going to use this passage in Romans chapter 3. All men are fools without grace. And it's a shame that sometimes after grace, we return to our vomit and our wallowing in the mud like fools. But the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. He has no restraining or constraining motive in his heart To seek out God, to please God, to worship God, to give Him the glory that is due His name. It's not there. This is a description of the natural man. This is your description that could have been stamped on the back of your birth certificate. Because when you were born, this is the character you were born with. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Corrupt are they. Corrupt. Dirty. Filthy blemished, ruined, they have rotted, corrupt are they, all men are corrupt, and they've done abominable iniquity, they have not just barely sinned, they have sinned heinously against their God, there is none that doeth good, and the Apostle Paul is going to help you understand the word none in this context, what does none mean? No, not one. And Paul is going to repeat it twice as he quotes this passage rather than the once that the Holy Spirit gave us in Psalm 53 and Psalm 14. There is none that doeth good. This is an indictment of the human race, which includes you. There are no exceptions to this verse or the next two verses. This is the categorical, summarily, judgment of all men. This is our condition by nature. Verse 2 tells us that God looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand that did seek God. God does not need to look down. He puts such descriptions in language suitable to our understanding that He took inquiry of the human race which He already knew. The Bible tells us that the Lord came down to look into the iniquity of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now the Bible had already told us that the men of Sodom and Gomorrah were sinners exceeding before the Lord. So he already knew they were exceedingly sinful sinners. But this language is for you. This language is for those who believe in what is called conditional election. That God looked down from heaven to see how many would receive His Son as their personal Savior and He chose to elect them. That's called conditional election. That God's choice was based upon a condition being performed If you get an Arminian who's at least thought a little bit theologically, that is what he will affirm, that he believes in conditional election. But this verse here rules out conditional election. This verse demands, by necessity, unconditional election, which if total depravity is ever understood, election is the obvious and necessary conclusion that follows. God looked down from heaven upon the children of men, and we are thankful that we have these words in our Bibles to tell us that He did so, so that we can answer these that say God looked down to see who would receive His Son as their personal Savior. Well, God looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand. And He found none. No, not one. As verse 3 will go on and elaborate. Were there any that understood? Now men understand a great many things. But the understanding here is spiritual understanding, and they have none. Were there any that did understand? Did they understand that their Creator demanded their obedience? That their Creator deserved glory, praise, worship, and honor? Did they understand that their Creator was righteous, and that the law that He had either placed in writing or in their hearts should be obeyed? They had no understanding of those things. They rejected that knowledge and understanding of God. Romans 1.24 would say, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, they rejected that understanding. That there was a Creator in heaven. They were the creatures. They should give Him glory as the Creator. And they should worship Him. And they should measure up to His righteousness. And they should seek His face to please Him with their lives. They had no understanding of those things because they cast off that knowledge that He had revealed to them so that they could pursue their own understanding, pursue their own lust, which they did. That's why they are corrupt and abominable in that first verse. God looked down to see if there were any that did understand. Were there any that understood that they were on their way to hell and they needed a Savior? This is spiritual understanding. This is not natural understanding. This is not professional or financial understanding. This is not economic or political understanding. This is spiritual understanding of the important place that God had in their lives. He looked down to see if there was any in our race that understood. Was it Adam? If Adam had understood, he wouldn't have been hiding in the trees of the garden. He'd have been on his face before Almighty God begging for mercy. But he did not understand. Because he was corrupt after his sin with his wife Eve. God looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did seek God. Were there seekers out there? There are churches today called seeker-sensitive churches. What they describe as seeker-sensitive, these are their definitions. It's almost impossible to believe because it is so contrary to your understanding of the word seek. But when they use the word seeker-sensitive... They mean people that are sitting at home that would never enter the doors of a church like we understand the worship of God to be and to include. Seekers. They're out there, not at a church door, but at home, sleeping in on Sunday morning and watching cartoons after partying the day before. They call them seekers. I don't know why they make the assumption or the presumption that these men are seeking anything because they're not showing it outwardly and the Bible says they don't have it inwardly. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did seek God. There were none. How many? Not one. Are you sure? No, not one. Verse 3, every one of them is gone back. Gone back from what? Seeking God. Worshipping God. The knowledge of God. The truth of God that He revealed to them. By whatever means He revealed it to them. Whether it be His conscience or creation. His providence or His revelation. They have gone back from His way. He has revealed enough of His way to them that they are without excuse. But every one of them every one means that there is none no not one that sought god or that understood spiritual things and the importance of worshiping god their creator and pleasing him every one of them has gone back verse 3 tells us they are all together become filthy that means that there are no exceptions there's no one out in left field there's no one out in right field they've they've all together done this together all of them together is the primary sense of this word. But it also can include a secondary sense in that we know that man did this together in their father Adam. Because we were all in the loins of our father Adam and while Hebrews chapter 7 tells us that men can be said to do something in the loins of their father, we did it in the loins of our father by sinning against God in the Garden of Eden. But we're all together in this matter. There are no exceptions. This is so important to Paul's argument in Romans chapter 3, where the Jews believed that they were the exception to God's judgment. That God's judgment would fall in fiery terror upon the Gentiles, but God would have mercy upon them, the Jews, His chosen people. They are altogether become filthy. The innate goodness of mankind, the inherent goodness of man, you hear those words from time to time, but look at what the Bible says. This may not be politically correct, but it is divinely true. It's inspired by the God of heaven. They are all together become filthy. We're dirty. We cannot belong in the presence of God. God will not allow us in His presence. And the Bible says in the last couple chapters of Revelation, let him that is filthy be filthy still. Nothing filthy will enter in to that holy, clean place of heaven where the presence of God is. Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ our Lord who has cleansed us and washed us from all iniquity so that we are whiter than snow. Verse 4, Have the workers of iniquity no knowledge? They act with impunity against God's people. David is now going to transition just a little bit and describe these wicked men, the characterization of all natural men as his personal enemies, because he had some. And this psalm is describing enemies. Have the workers of iniquity no knowledge? Don't they know there's a God in heaven that, are, that is going to defend his people? No, they don't have knowledge. They have cast that knowledge aside. And because they've cast it aside, as we have learned from Romans chapter 1, God has rewired their brains to do things among themselves to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. To the shame and the meat and fitting recompense of their wicked sins. Who eat up My people as they eat bread? They have not called upon God. These workers of iniquity, these enemies of David, these fools, who eat up My people like bread, they have not called upon God? They have no knowledge that there's a God in heaven that is going to judge them. Boldly, maliciously, greedily, they feast on the righteous. We do not know the precise event that Psalm 53 was written about. But, it sure would fit David being chased from Jerusalem by Absalom. Absalom had the large majority against David and his small minority. Right. And they were eating up the people of God. But look at what verse 5 tells us about God. Do you have knowledge of this God today? The workers of iniquity, the natural man, does not have the knowledge of a personal God that in His providence is going to be at your right hand at all times and deliver you and protect you. And even when there is something happening in your life that you feel God has forsaken you, oh, He has not forsaken you. In mercy and love and affection, He is afflicting you for your profit. Verse 5, There were they in great fear where no fear was. When you are in a very strong majority, and you are organized and prepared for battle like Absalom was with Israel, and you are facing a small minority that is scattered and disorganized in the woods, there is no fear. If you hear the military discussions of the military council of Absalom as they record in the Bible, they were going to go after David and take him. But it says, there were they in great fear. What was Absalom doing when the branches of an oak tree reached out and grabbed his long, beautiful flowing locks? He was pretending that he was Wild Bill Hickok, 3,000 years before James Butler Hickok was born in the state of Illinois. What was he doing? Running as fast as his ass would carry him. And God had the bough of an oak tree reach out and grab his hair and take him up between the heaven and the earth and leave him dangling there by his golden locks. He reminds me of General Custer. He made one beautiful Indian scalp, didn't he? That Sioux Indian that got to carry those 18 inch long golden locks of the general of the seventh cavalry. God hung Absalom up between the heavens and the earth and he let the right man find him. A man full of pity. Joab. There were they in great fear where no fear was. For God hath scattered the bones of Him that encampeth against thee. I love the turns of the persons of nouns and pronouns in the Word of God. Do you? When you read a psalm, do you watch it change as it talks to God, about God, to men, about men? Did you notice the shift here? In that fifth verse? There were they... In great fear. This is speaking about the wicked enemies of the righteous where no fear was. For God has scattered the bones of him that encampeth against thee. There's that second person and there's comfort coming out of this psalm to you. Thou has put them to shame. David comforting his people. Thou has put them to shame though they were the small, disorganized minority if we compare this to Absalom's Sedition, though they were the small disorganized minority, thou hast put them to shame. Why? On what basis? Because God hath despised them. There is a huge difference in the human race. God loves some and despises others. They have no knowledge of this. The wicked will try to feast and pray upon the righteous, not knowing that the righteous have a God that is at their right hand that will deliver them. And the devil himself seeks to feast and prey on us. Is he walking about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour? Let me tell you something about the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah, not the little pussycat of hell. In comparison, he is the lion of the tribe of Judah and he made an open show of Satan on the cross in Colossians chapter 2, triumphing over him by his death. And he's going to deliver us because God hath despised him and His hordes, and all those that follow Him, and God by His grace has saved us. Amen. Verse 6, Oh, that, salvation, that the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion! Exclamation point. Oh, that the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion. David here is describing, very likely, a physical deliverance. The completion of this military victory so that they could return to Jerusalem. But my brothers... And my sisters, if you were to ever read the long chapter of Luke 1, you would find in those 70 and some verses the fulfillment of this in its ultimate degree. And that is that God raised up a Savior out of the house of David named Jesus of Nazareth. And Luke chapter 1, an angel to Zacharias, an angel to Mary, Mary to Elizabeth, and Zacharias, full of the Holy Ghost, there's about four testimonies in Luke 1, all of them fulfilling this verse. Describing it as a salvation of His people out of Zion, when God will deliver us from captivity, the Lord Jesus Christ entered the palace of the strong man and took us to Himself and delivered us from our captivity to the devil. Oh, that the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion. Brethren, it has, because we live on this side of the cross. David had to look forward, we get to look back. Praise His glorious name. When God bringeth back the captivity of His people, Jacob shall rejoice, and Israel shall be glad. And Romans 15 is filled with verses telling Gentiles to rejoice and to be glad with His people because they were part of the deliverance. Praise His holy name. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Do you have any knowledge today? God is at your right hand. He will deliver you in time, and He will deliver you in eternity. He will deliver you in life, and He will deliver you in death. Put your trust in Him and call upon Him. He already knows your faith is weak. He he is not depending upon the strength of your faith. He is depending upon the strength of His faith and confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ and the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. Put your weak faith in Him. He will deliver you. In the time of trouble now and the time of trouble to come. In the great day of judgment He will deliver us because our names will be found in the Lamb's book of life. Amen Amen and amen.